the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I have a great show for you tonight. And, you know, as we go into the almost springtime season, um, we're enjoying life a little bit. We're taking some vacations, some some much needed time off after the the rush of January and and, uh, now at the end of February. So when we go out to dinner, we often decide on a venue. And I know Larry loves to go out to dinner. You have lots of great places and we're going to get to that. But we often make a selection, not simply based on what we like to eat, but we sometimes take into consideration um, what the restaurant's values are. You know, I teach business ethics, or I did for years at San Diego State, and we talk a lot about, you know, ethical sustainability. You know, what are the practices? You know, like commercials sometimes say no animals were harmed in making this commercial. Well, I have two words for you along those lines, Larry, that sums up a lawsuit that's been filed against several restaurants here in San Diego. Foie gras. Does that mean anything to you, Larry? I, I looked it up, and uh, yeah, it does. It's, it's supposed to be a really uh, tasty food. Uh, I don't know if you want to explain that, but... Um, it's a delicacy. It okay. is. Foie gras is a delicacy, and Larry's going to go a little bit more um, about it, go into a little more detail, including the fact of whether or not he's had it. He hasn't answered that for me, so we'll, we'll learn that together. But one thing I wanted to point out is that this was a lawsuit that was filed by the Animal Protection and Rescue League, um, it's a it's a private attorney general action. It's not the kind of lawsuit we see all the time. It's actually asking for an injunction demanding that several restaurants here in San Diego County comply with state law. Foie gras is not allowed to be on the menu, um, claiming it's an unfair business practice. And they're also asking for a declaratory relief. So they want a declaration from the court saying that foie gras is unlawful to sell. So, you know, sometimes when I sum up what this kind of dual uh, action, you know, count one, count two, they're asking the court to say, stop it and say it's wrong. <laughs> An injunction and a declaration. But the restaurants at issue are restaurants that have been, you know, beloved in San Diego for years, Mr. A's and Mill Fleur. I mean, these are restaurants people go to propose marriage. They have dress codes even during the day. So um, they are restaurants that have enjoyed customer loyalty for a very long time. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, many San Diegans care about following lawsuits like this. Um, and it has to do with a law that actually was proposed in or passed in, tw- in 2004, but had almost an eight year delay 
between the time that it passed and the time it was supposed to go into effect. And uh, Larry, I'm going to toss it over to you in a minute for some more of the details of this law. But uh, what I found interesting in researching, you know, where this law come from and when did it get passed and what's happened in the meantime, is it actually got appealed through the court system regarding whether or not it was legal to ban the selling of foie gras, and that has to do with the way it's made. And maybe I'll give that part to you too, because it's not, not a pleasant part of the story. But do you know this was actually the issue of whether foie gras could be banned? Um, it was actually uh, appealed at one point up to the California Supreme Court, or the U.S. Supreme Court that declined to hear it. Um, so Larry, give us some of the more pleasant and unpleasant details behind the foie gras ban. Right, well, it was, right now, it's in the California Health and Safety Code, Section 25982, where it is actually banned uh, for restaurants in California. But I understand they can import it from outside the state. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, basically it's the force feeding of ducks or geese that it enlarges their liver, and then the liver is harvested, and apparently they make it into a pate, and it's supposed to taste really good. Truthfully, Wendy, I don't think I've ever had it. Uh, but what's interesting about this... But you it, have had snails, so I wonder. Well, on a Disney cruise. I told you that one time, and so have you, right, Wendy? <laughs> oh, the Disney, the, Disney cruise, the Disney cruise exception, yes. Yeah, yeah. Es, es, right. No, I've had escargot. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, but any, anyhow, this foie gras, it uh, goes way back 5,000 years to Egypt. If you can believe that, they were eating it back then, and it's even engraved on some ancient tombs that depicts Egyptian servants force-feeding grains to geese to, again, to enlarge their liver for that purpose. So it's a delicacy that goes way, way back. So it's not new. Um, Now, what's interesting about this, I don't know if people know this, that in southern or southwestern Spain, there's a gentleman by the name of Eduardo Sousa. He's called the Goose Whisperer. And he actually raises geese naturally in the open, not caged. And he does it that way. And it's supposed to be so much better than what they produce here in the United States. And again, he does it naturally. He doesn't force feed it like they they do sometimes in the United States. So I thought that was a really interesting history about this. So it's been around for a while, not only in these two restaurants. You know what's interesting? Yeah, you know what's interesting about what you just said, Larry, is part of the rationale for the delay of that law was finding a way to produce the product humanely. Isn't that interesting? And you just cited an option that apparently is available. And, you know, we live in a day and age where we care about making sure that no animals are ever harmed or or made uncomfortable. I mean, we really, we have all of these standards we seek to attain, and that was part of the rationale behind the delay. Um, And I just wonder why or if this alternative method of, of, you know, making foie gras, and I'm sure we can probably um, relate that to many other types of foods, is something that's going to catch on. Or why hasn't it might be a better question. I think it takes time. And they call this process gavage, G-A-V-A-G-E. And what it is, when the geese get ready to fly in the wintertime, it gets very cold. So they really eat a lot of food. They eat a lot of grain to build up the calories and to store that food for the long winter. So that is when he actually... uh, 
harvests the the uh, the the, uh, the liver to make the the foie gras, and uh, so he does it naturally. So he does no force feeding at all. It's, it's totally natural. And um, I don't know if we want to get into the lawsuit aspect of it, but I was researching the people that filed this lawsuit, and uh, I think that was really interesting. His his name uh, is Attorney Brian Pease, P-E-A-S-E, and he's the chairman of the Animal Protection and Rescue League. It's also known as, I just pronounced it April for short, A-P-R-L. And what's interesting is that uh, they're located here in San Diego, and now they've opened up a chapter in Orange County. And I don't know if you knew this, but this gentleman, this attorney, Brian Pease, is a vegan. Do you know what vegan is, Wendy? Oh, indeed. And you know what I found most interesting about the these types of lawsuits in general? Um, lots of people are, you know, vegan or vegetarian. And, you know, it's amazing. You can eat more than you think if you're a vegan. I know people that are vegan. But Part of the the issue that this lawsuit brings up that I found interesting is, you know, um, the menu police objection that many people bring up. They bring up these issues of, well, should we, you know, um, police restaurants regularly to make sure that they're in compliance with state laws, with things they are and aren't allowed to sell. And you can imagine there's lots of things across the board. But, you know, what I always bring up when, you know, it's so easy to research menus online is what about the customers that know something's available, even though it's not on the menu? I mean, can you imagine if there are restaurants that sell foie gras that just, you know, it's available but invisible? In other words, you won't read it on a menu. Um, but you know that you can ask for it. It's kind of like you can always get grilled cheese. You know, I grew up loving grilled cheese. You can always get it made, even if it's not on the menu. I'm sure Mr. Ace will make you a grilled cheese. I'll bet it'll be really a good one. Yeah. Um, but so, so some of these lawsuits I just found is a larger issue. Not not so much focusing on the lawyers themselves who filed it, but just the relevance, the relevance of these kinds of suits today you know um, when when i first heard about this i thought oh my gosh did somebody get sick who was harmed only to read it's really a, a lawsuit that it, you're, we're seeing more frequently that's asking for an injunction and declaratory relief so it's not true that we have to wait or that we need somebody to actually suffer physical harm to have a lawsuit like this be filed and pursued right and speaking of items that are not on the menu uh, in, in in and out Burger that I think everybody knows about, there's something you can get called Animal Style, and it's not on the menu. You ask for, I want an In-N-Out Burger Animal Style, and they put all kinds of relish in different things. I don't really like it that much. My my older brother, he does, and that that's not even on the menu. You have to know about it to ask about it. And here's another little bit of trivia really quickly. Mr. A's downtown, what a beautiful restaurant. Probably the yeah. best view of a restaurant in San Diego. I mean, arguably, you could say that. And I, Wendy, I, I hope my wife's not listening. That's where I took my prom date. It was a double date. We took oh. this. My, my best friend, we had a, a, a Thunderbird, a, a convertible Thunderbird. And those are, I don't know if anybody remembers that kind of car. And we went to Mr. A's. Yeah. Uh, that's what I mean. I mean, it's been around, if you went to prom there, forever. <laughs> Wendy, come on. <laughs> okay, that was bad. Okay, so it's been, it's been around for a long time. And that's the issue, though. Customer loyalty. And part of the why this is um, something that people are talking about is we have people that have been going there for 50 or more years and suddenly saw that it had been removed a while back. But anyway, more after the break. We need to take a short one. Stick with us. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be right back in a flash. 
News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Well, we have a terrific guest on the line with us for the second half. Larry, who do we have the pleasure of speaking with this afternoon? Yes, Wendy. Michael Alexander is a proponent for the Educational Freedom Act, the founder and president of the California School Choice Foundation and chairman of Californians for School Choice He's a Southern California native, veteran of the United States Marine Corps, and a graduate at the University of Southern California, the Gould School of Law. He's managing principal of Private Trust Management Group in Pasadena, California, and former host of Radio Free Los Angeles, which is on KRLA 870. And he also does a podcast that's called The Voice of Choice that focuses on the Educational Freedom Act and education issues in general. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. You know, I just referred to uh, 615 as this afternoon because I'm so used to taking classes in the evenings. I mean, I remember higher education. That doesn't start till 7 p.m. or later. But that's kind of where I wanted to start with you. I mean, you've been involved in law and trust management. What led you to develop an interest in California's public education system? Well, uh, you know, that's a great question, Dr. Wendy, and it's the one that I get most often and the one I'm usually least prepared to answer. Uh, And the reason is this. It doesn't require any special reason except for an awareness of how critical education is to everyone in this state and uh and what a crisis we have because california schools uh, are now 48th in the nation we were once among the best now we are among the worst and 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 education access to a quality education is the key to advancement in our state and frankly we're letting our kids down and as i point point out so often Even if your own kids are long since raised, as mine are, even if your own grandchildren are in good schools and everything is fine, uh, we still need as citizens to be concerned about whether everybody's getting a shot because one way or the other, we share that future with them. And that future doesn't look very bright right now. And and uh, we know, uh, m- most of us who are successful, we know how important a quality education was, or at least having access to it, was to our success. And I'm here as an example of, uh, of the success of school choice. That is my parents' choice to make great sacrifices for me. And my children are where they are because the sacrifices my wife and I made. Uh, it, it is, to use a terribly abused uh, term, a no-brainer. Right. Uh, my, Michael, our future depends on the education of our children from kindergarten through high school and for those who desire yes. it, the completion of college or vocational education. Yet many parents feel trapped by underperforming schools and without any options. What will your Educational Freedom Act do to improve our state's current educational system? Well, yeah, uh, it, it, it will probably 
Uh, well, I'll start it here. First of all, the Educational Freedom Act has four key features, which are important here to answer your question. It will permit any parent or guardian desiring to do so to request the establishment of an education savings account in California. Number two, that account annually will be credited with that child's share of basic education funding in California called Prop 98. And that amount under our bill will start off at 14000 That's not all they spend, by the way, but that's where this will start. Number three, the parent, not the guardian, will be able to direct those funds to a participating private or religious school. And number four, save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. Now, that answers your question because what it does, it gives each and every parent, regardless of how much they make or don't, regardless of where they live, the right to uh, to control that money. So first thing that happens is that that money will follow the child. It'll be in a trust account, but the parents cannot pick a school. That's going to be the key thing. And, and now, that's what's going to improve that child's uh, uh, life individually. But you asked another question. Uh, the way that you asked the question needs to be answered, too. You say, what will it do to improve the school system? Well, nothing directly, but what it will really do, uh, Dr. Wendy, is to introduce competition into the system because if those parents and those children have a choice about where they might want to uh, go to uh, go to another school then they don't have to listen to that garbage that they're told they don't have to take that attitude and when when these uh, you know public schools are businesses too let me tell you it's the biggest single business in this state is a so-called public education system and and when they start bleeding students and bleeding revenue, like anybody else who operates a business, they will start making those changes. And we as citizens, as parents, uh, as uh, uh, as basically uh, outsiders, we cannot affect how that system operates at all, which is why we just took the money and made sure that the parents had access the people who can change the system are the people who actually own and operate it, and that would be the teachers, the bureaucrats, the politicians, and especially the unions of special interests. That's what changes. Well, Michael, it's interesting you say, you know, we talk about follow the money. The follow the money here is follow the student. I mean, I, I love the way that yeah. uh, you explained the way that works. It's also true, is it not? How does, I understand that it follows the student without a lot of the red tape. How specifically does it follow the student without conditions or mandates? Remember, that's one of the things we've been sure. litigating and talking about for two years. How does that work? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking it. Yeah, if you look carefully in, into our bill, it does two things. First of all, there's a preamble uh, to it, an introduction to the bill that recognizes parents as the first educators and recognize that they, they have a natural right to direct the moral, intellectual, and religious development of their children without coercion from the state, economic or otherwise. So that's the principle that's established. Within the body of, of the initiative itself are a number of provisions that make it clear that the government cannot withhold money from a student or 
decline uh, an otherwise qualified school from participating as an educational provider based upon faith, curriculum mandates, or other kinds of mandates. The grounds on which money can be withheld or participation denied are extremely narrow and specifically acknowledge and prohibit curriculum mandates, specifically acknowledge and permit faith-based curricula because uh, and materials. Because I know that you and many other people in our state, that's the second question I get. The second most frequent question is, man, Mike, what prevents the government when we take a dollar from them, even though it's our dollar, once we take a dollar from the government, don't they then have the right to transform our Catholic or uh, Christian or it might be Jewish or Muslim schools uh, into um, um uh, into government schools. Don't they have that right? The answer, Dr. Wendy, is no. This act pro- specifically prohibits it. Hey, Mike, we're getting a little bit short on time here. I want to make sure that, uh, first of all, this is Larry, and uh, how is it going? How do people get involved? I want you to be able to get that out. Is it a website? Do they need to sign anything? How do we get this onto the ballot? Thank you. Cal- uh, all spelled out, California School Choice dot org california school dot org go there you can do th- two, three things number one you can let me know who you are and express your support number two you can download and uh and sign uh, a petition that individually send it back to me or circulate it number three uh you, know, you can give me some love you can go on there and donate uh-huh. because remember this isn't my battle this is yours we as citizens have a joint obligation to save the next generation and to take our state and ultimately take our country back so you go there you do those two or things three things help me together signatures uh, uh, help send a little bit of money. Uh, you know, just in the last 24 hours, we've had 14,000 people download our petition from the website. Uh, wow. Hey, Larry, uh, uh, Mike, we got to wrap right. it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and all that great information. Uh, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us again tonight to have a wonderful, safe weekend. Please join us next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy, Headlines with the Silver Lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.